Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. This week, we're bringing you a fascinating conversation with lawyer, farmer, and mayor, James Decker of Stanford, Texas. You may recognize James from his weekly Monday Musing essays posted on the Rural Revival blog, or from recently being nominated to the inaugural Ruralist. James is setting an example we can all learn from when it comes to the revitalization of and commitment to our rural communities. And you're about to find out why. So here we go with James Decker. All right. Well, today we're here with James Decker, mayor, farmer, lawyer in Stanford, Texas. Thanks for being on the podcast, James. I'm glad to be here. Well, you have lived in Stanford most of your life. Yes, I was born in 84. My family moved here in 86. So my, my memories of Stanford, of life before Stanford are very limited. So essentially, I've been here my whole life. Awesome. Um, what have you loved about growing up in Stanford? Just, you know, the people, uh, the community are very important to me. That's my passion for the community is, is based on the people. That's something that uh, I've learned throughout my life. That's People have been good to my family and to me, and that's why after I went to college and law school, I wanted to I wanted to come back here and be a part of the community to perpetuate that reputation that Stanford has of having people that are second to none. Awesome. And is that why you chose to be a lawyer? Absolutely. You know, I, when people would ask me in law school why I wanted to go to law school, why I wanted to be a lawyer, why I went to law school, there's always... Everybody's got these different stories. You know, people were inspired by kill, to kill a mockingbird. They wanted to make a difference at all. Or, you know, some of them looked, candidly just wanted to get rich as a personal injury lawyer. My, I guess my passion has always been to come back to Stanford and be a leader and a business owner in the community. And as I got older, I realized that a lawyer was something that was a need for a young lawyer. There was a demand for a young lawyer in this area. And it would be a great opportunity to um, be a business leader and a community leader and, and just kind of be involved in a lot of different things. So it just made a lot of sense. And, and luckily, I enjoyed it. Well, I know you and I are both very passionate about revitalizing our rural communities. And we just believe in the future of our small town. So why do you think it's important that we do that? Well, you know, the future of America is at small towns and its rural communities, because whether we like it or not, whether people want to admit it or not, the American heritage, American values, those things that we talk about as being good, you know, let's not even get into politics, but let's talk about just good old-fashioned values that everybody in America loves and, and wants to perpetuate and extend. Those all go back to our agrarian heritage as a nation and our rural heritage as a nation. And, and without, without that underpinning of those values, uh, then America can, you know, forget where it came from. And it's people like us, the young people who are passionate about rural America and who have the energy and the experience and the ambition and the time in their lives left, you know, they're, they're on, the, on the upward climb, not necessarily on the downhill slide. It's up to us to be the ones who make that happen. Absolutely. What do you think is key to that revitalization? Um, you know, what do our small towns have to offer to make this possible? Well, they have to make it a place worth living. Uh, you know, I would have come back to Stanford regardless because I wanted to be part of the community. But you've got to look at Stanford or Odebolt, Iowa, or wherever the place may be, and you have to you have to say well, an objective third party. What would make that place worth living to for them? But they come here and say, "Oh man, that's some cool stuff," but you know but we don't have, there's not quality housing or 
you don't have any restaurants or there are no jobs. You got to figure out what makes it worthwhile to an outside third party. And also you have to bring your young people back. If you, if your community is not good enough to bring your own people, your own young people back to the community, then it's not good enough for anybody else's kids either. And that's something that I think is very important is the sales pitch that what would bring the young people to Stanford, not the ones just, you know, not necessarily just to stay in Stanford and never leave, but to go to college, go to a trade school, go learn a skill and think, man, I want to take that back to my hometown because that place is important, but it's got to be worthwhile. You can't just, it's not 1900, it's not 1850. You can't just expect people to stay in your community because they don't have anything else to do. There are, there are options and it's a competitive world. It needs to be a worthwhile place to live. Yeah. So why do you think it is important for the small businesses that are in our small towns? How is it important for them to work together? Well, it's a, you know, very much a united we stand, divided we fall type of thing. And, you know, if I'm a local business owner, whereas where if it be a lawyer or a doctor or a part store or a retail establishment, if I think I'm too good to frequent the um, other local business establishments and I take my business elsewhere, then why should I expect anybody else in the community to, um, to frequent my business? And that's something that's important to me, that if you don't buy local, then you don't have any complaint when those businesses go out of town or, or go out of business or go away or get bought up by some larger chain. And you don't, and you, you know, you don't have a, it's, you can be a leader within the community, whether it's elected or business owner or whatever, but you also have an, have a responsibility to be a leader as a consumer as well. Well, you're obviously very involved in the community here in Stanford. What is it that you love about this community? Like I said, it's the people, you know, something that I think is very important. I think it's something that has maybe been lost in America over the last few decades as, you know, things have changed and shifted and, you know, we've become a more mobile society. We've become a more technologically based society, which is great in a lot of respects. Mm -hmm. There are some things that we can do in our rural communities now that we never would have been able to do before without technology and mobility. Absolutely. But sense of place matters, whether no matter where we grew up, whether it's in Stanford or wherever else uh, we come from, our place molds us and shapes us as a person. It's those values that the people of that place have, the environment, the circumstances, the, you know, makeup of the community, the demographics, the environment. You know, West Texas, it's dry, it's hot, it's uh, not always the easiest place to scratch out a living. That molds and shapes the people. Uh, you don't just wake up and become a, you know, successful farmer in West Texas or a business owner just by virtue of your own, um, you know, your own skill and your own, you know, you're not just a genius who woke up and did it without anybody else and without a place. The place matters and the place shapes and molds all of us. And it's important to remember that. Absolutely. So where do you see opportunity here for your town? Well, like I said, is, you know, technology. Uh, I think that's something that we have to be key about. You know, I hear a lot about, um, we get into a lot of nostalgia that people remember the 50s or the 60s or the 70s, you know, the good old days, so to yeah. speak. But I always ask people when, when they talk about wanting to bring the good old days back in Stanford is, whose good old days are they? Because <laughs> what might have been the good old days for one side of town may not have been great for the other side of town. You know, if you think about, you know, periods of, of segregation in those areas, you know, in some of our communities that might have been great for some, but it wasn't for everybody else. Or, you know, maybe, you know, farming was doing great at one period of time, but retail wasn't or vice versa. So when people think about nostalgia and the good old days, they're really not thinking about the a specific place or specific thing. They're thinking about this, the general idea of prosperity and happiness and not having to worry about a lot of, a lot of stuff. And that's what we can bring back. We can't bring back the exact makeup of businesses that were on the downtown square in Stanford in 1968. 
You're just not going to. It's a yeah. different world. But you can bring back that feel that people had and what they liked about the square in 1968, just in a more modern uh, modern sense and in something that fits within the current, you know, world landscape. So, you know, technology, we can, like I said, we can do a lot of things in our rural communities that we can't, we can attract people back to our communities to, who are either working remotely, who, who have software, cloud-based jobs, who don't necessarily have to live in a specific place, and we can preach to them the quality of life, the low cost of living, the extremely low housing costs in the community, and say, hey, you can do it here and have that prosperity. Have a small school to raise your kids where they know everybody. You go to church, you're going to know all the people that sit on the rows around you at church because they sit there every week. Uh, you know, your kids, um, you know, all your kids' friends. And, and just a because people are seeking a quality of life. And if you look at this suburbanization of America, a lot of suburban subdivisions are building that. They're trying to build a quality of life. And really, they're trying to build a almost a faux small town feel. I can yes. I can think of subdivisions that have built town squares and and have advertised a rural feel and small town feel, and and that's great. You know, I applaud them. I applaud folks for trying to fill a gap that is missing in people's life and in the satisfaction and fulfillment of people's lives. But hey. Come do it. Come do the real thing. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got a one-way square in Stanford that has been in existence since the town was founded in 1900. Come do it on a real square, not on a not one that you that you built brand new. Absolutely. Well, kind of talking about you know the good old days. How do we find that blend between preserving historic buildings and the history of the town, but also being progressive, staying modern? What do you think is the key to that? I had a great conversation at a rodeo this past weekend with a with a rancher, and he was talking about he was writing an article for a cattle magazine and saying that, you know, if you're doing things the way your granddad did it, are you really doing what your granddad did? Because you're wanting to do the exact same thing your granddad did, but the reality is your granddad might have been the foremost innovator, uh, might have been an advanced forward thinker in 1950. Uh, so doing the exact same things that he did is not what he was doing. But being being a forward thinker might have been what you need to be doing if you want to be just like your granddad. And the communities are the same way. Think about um, our roots. Our roots in our communities are not in any sort of specific business or um, industry or specific makeup of businesses. It's the the heritage and values that underpin that small town feel. Um, you know, rural values. Those sort of things apply no matter what kind of stores you have on your downtown square, what kind of services you offer. And it's it's key, it's important to be, you can't go chasing the past. You can't go chasing nostalgia. Because like I said, you can't bring that back. Mm-hmm. But it's those roots and those values that you stay true to. What is your community, what makes your community special? You know, in Stanford, we've got a very proud heritage as a cowboy town, as a railroad center, kind of as a, as a retail hub. That looked... A specific way in 1910, it looked a different way in 1950, and in 2020, it'll look a different way too. But you find those core values, you know, that western Western town, the place where people came to do their shopping and get the stuff that they need, uh, you know, with a great culture and heritage, and you apply that into a modern sense. That's how you do it, is you don't lose the values, but make sure you're looking at the core of the values, not how they were being applied at some arbitrary period in time. I think that's great. So you were recently elected mayor. What made you want to run for mayor? Well, I think it's very important that if you're going to be in a community, if you don't stand up and lead, then you've got really got no complaint when, if you're, when you're dissatisfied with somebody else's um, form of leadership or lack thereof. And I ran for the city council uh, several years back and served a couple of terms on the city council. 
And just as time went on, I wanted to um, had some people that maybe brought to my mind that I ought to think about running for mayor. And, and you know, it's not what I was necessarily looking for. But as time went on, I realized that it was, I thought it would be important because for better or worse in your community, whether you're in Stanford or you're in Dallas or you're in New York City, your mayor is often the face of the community. If people want a statement or people look, look to someone or for some reason, they think of the mayor. For better or worse, like it or not. And I thought Stanford needed a young, energetic, ambitious, forward-thinking face who understood what the community was all about, but had some vision to take the community into the next 10, 25, and, and 50 years. So uh, when the time came, my, luckily my term on the city council was up the same cycle as the mayor, so I just announced I was going to run for mayor. And with the help of a lot of great folks in town who you know, put up signs for me or talked to their neighbors or made phone calls or just drove people to the polls or did whatever, we were able to be successful. That's great. So what are some of the projects you're hoping to work on as mayor? Well, you know, Stanford has a lot of has a lot of challenges, but you know, you can look at these glasses half empty or glass full or half full. And I see a lot of opportunities as well. You know, Stanford has a lot of infrastructure challenges. It's a town that's laid out for ten thousand that's uh, got about three thousand people in it now. So you're basically paying for all that infrastructure with a much reduced tax base, sales tax and property tax. So we want to improve that infrastructure. We want to provide uh, you know, when when your taxes go up periodically and rates go up, it's hard to ask citizens to pay more for a service unless they're getting superior level service in the first um, in the first place. Uh, we want to, you know, our our city budget is you know pretty efficient. Uh, you know, we've we've done really well in the last few years because we've had to, and we've you know with some new capital expenditure projects on our water pro- on our water system, we've had to be efficient to make sure we can afford that. But I just want to continue to grow that, make sure we're getting the most bang for our buck. But that we're not just in a level of maintenance. You know, I don't want to be in maintenance mode. I want to be in improvement mode. I don't want our streets to be at the same level they are now. I want our streets to get better. You know, I had some some kids ask me when I was speaking at the high school during the campaign. They said, they said, well, how are you going to fix the water and water pipes and streets in town? I said, do you know how to need an elephant? And they looked at me and I said, one bite at a time. And that's how you fix a city, one bite at a time. You make a list. You prioritize the street that everybody drives on every single day and it's a big problem, that one's a pretty easy one to fix. The streets coming and going to the to and from the schools, you know they're going to have some high traffic. That's predictable. You get after those. You prioritize. You fix as much as you can and just be a good, and then and the goal is to attract, give people a reason to want to live here, not to leave, you know, want to move back. Uh, new business, uh, new residents, you know, who can live mobily or they want to, you know, commute to a smaller metro area like Abilene, which is only 45 minutes away, but they want to have a quality of life, encourage those folks to come here. And if you bring those people, that in, that in, that brings more tax spending, more tax revenue, and allows you opportunities to continue to grow and expand your city, your city services. And you also have some current projects that are going on in Stanford that are exciting, like the theater project? Absolutely. We're, we're very close to uh, reopening our historic downtown theater, the Grand Theater. This is a project that's been uh, underway for a couple of years. This theater was, it was open when I was a kid and it closed down in 2011. And a couple of years ago, we were able to get that into some nonprofit hands and our nonprofit organization has been working on it. And we're getting ready to install the seats and the sound and the sound and projection equipment. And it will be open this fall and give people an opportunity to see first run movies on a weekly basis in town here and at a, at a cheaper rate, more affordable rate than going to the big city theaters and, and do it here on the square in Stanford. And, you know, we've, we've had some nights where we've lit up the, the neon marquee downtown 
and it just provides a uh, whole new energy to the downtown when you're driving through the town and those neon lights are lit up rather than just being dark and everything quiet downtown. And we hope that's the start of, you know, we have a great downtown area with a lot of business. We have my law firm, we've got some financial services firms and some education and some other office space downtown. It's busy during the day, a Dollar General retail store downtown and some and some other re- small business retail, some boutiques and a bookstore and some other stuff. But in the evening, downtown's pretty quiet. And when that theater's open, uh, that'll give people a reason to be downtown in the evening and maybe give an opportunity and a reason for folks to maybe want to open some other stuff, either retail businesses staying open late or no, whole new businesses cropping up entirely. Super exciting. And Stanford is also home to the Texas Cowboy Reunion, which as I understand, is also sort of undergoing its own revitalization. Absolutely. We just finished the 88th edition of the Texas Cavalry Union. And the TCR in its last few years has been a bit of a metaphor for what the community can be because some new leadership and vision has just revitalized the thing. And it's gone from just kind of just kind of staying kind of stagnant into growing. We've had crowds that are growing. You know, we've had over 20,000 people paid attendance last year. This year is going to be bigger than that. Uh, and the largest crowds we've seen since the 80s. And it's a testament to uh, maintaining those roots as a cowboy reunion, as a heritage, as a place to celebrate the heritage of the old-time cowboy with a rodeo and old-timers events and art and music and shopping and horse races and all the above, but bring it and present it in a modern way to realize it's 2018, it's not 1930, it's a hot open-air rodeo arena in July, People have air conditioning, so you got to give people a reason to come out of the air conditioning and to come spend your money with them rather than than the the movie theater, or go to the lake, or or do go play golf, or do whatever else they might be doing. And by doing that, by bringing that presentation of the rodeo into a modern age, but still remaining true to its roots, the rodeo has just taken off and blossomed again. And that's a sign is what we can do in our rural communities by staying true to your heritage and applying that heritage into a modern context. So. You know, you've kind of taken the lead, and I think you've maybe always had a heart for public service and especially city government. But what would you say to young people in other towns? Why is it important for young people to get involved either in, you know, public office, volunteering in their small communities, things like that? When I announced I was running for mayor last last year, I had an older fella in his early 70s. I really didn't know if he would support me or not, but he came to me and told me how glad he was running. He was that I was running for mayor. And he said in his years of being on different boards, whether it be, you know, cotton gin boards or water district boards or whatever, he always found that the most successful board was the one that was led by young people with energy and ambition, but that had a few old, old gray hairs on there to kind of temper, temper the energy with some wisdom. He said, that's what you need. You need young leaders with a little bit of wisdom added on there too. He said, you don't need old guys like me running everything because we're tired. We don't have the energy you, you young people do. And, and that's really struck with me. And, you know, our city council kind of has a similar similar makeup. It's me, and we've got some younger guys, but some older folks on there, too. And it's a great, it's a great mix. And that's the thing is uh, people tend to, young folks tend to not run for office and not get involved because they got kids or they're trying to build their business or, you know, I'll have time, you know, I don't have time right now, maybe later. You're never going to have time. You know, I've got a got a two-month-old uh, little girl, and, you know, somebody told me when we had kids, and told me about whether being ready or not, and said, you know what, you're never ready, you just do it. Mm-hmm. Kind of running for office is the same thing. You're never ready. You're never, there's ne- your, your world is never going to be lined up perfectly when you're going to have enough time to do it. But you either, your community 
your area, whatever you're talking about, your city, your, your school district, your hospital district, your county, whatever it may be, it's either important to you or it's not. And if you want to make a difference, if you think needs, things need to improve, then you've got an obligation to step up and get involved in whatever way suits your skills. And people need to be honest and objective with their, with their skill set. You know, sometimes we all think we have skills. We wish we have a skill that maybe we don't. Yes. Or maybe we're better at something than some, you know, I, I've got certain skills, but, you know, nobody wants to see me sing in, at church on Sunday morning. Uh, I'll leave that to the folks who have the spiritual gifts of, you know, leading worship. Uh, but we each of us have our gifts and our, our skills, and you need to find what yours is and, and find out the proper way to apply that to have the biggest impact. You know, but my, one of my favorite scriptures, and I use this in announcing my campaign, was Luke twelve forty eight, And that says, from those who will be entrusted with much, much will be uh, uh, given. And, those who have been, uh, and, th- and from those who have been given much, much will be expected. And that's an obligation. It's you know saying if you've got these resources, these abilities, whether it's speaking or it's financial resources or it's leadership or it's whatever it may be, you're expected to use those things for the for the good and for the better improvement and the uh, forward advance advancement of the world. And so I think it's an obligation, not just a, a hobby. So you shared with me a quote earlier uh, that your granddad had shared with you about why Stanford has been so important to you. Would you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So in 1986, when I was two, my dad had an opportunity to be transferred here for a job. And my granddad, who'd been in the, you know, his family had a bakery uh, and made fried pies for years back in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. He, my dad asked his thoughts. So what do you think about moving to Stanford? And I said, you know, Stanford is a very, you know, it's a great place. Uh, it can be a very utilitarian place. It's not necessarily an idyllic uh, place with all these perfect little historic buildings that all look alike. It's just a place that's by kind of been where you get stuff done and it works hard. And, you know, appearances maybe have not always been as important to Stanford as they should have been. And that's something that we're working on now and something I'm passionate about. But my dad asked my granddad, you know, this was 30 years, 33 years ago. He said, you know, what do you think about Stanford? You know, maybe it's not always been the prettiest town. And my granddad said, son, don't worry about the, what it looks like. Worry about the people. And my experience as a salesman all the years, no, I was never treated better than, in Stan- than I was in Stanford. And that stuck with my dad, and that's something that he shared with me, and that I found to be true. And it's, you know, I, the very first essay I ever wrote and that, I, that I do on, that, that you carry now, that I do on, on Facebook, back in November, it talked about vacant buildings versus vacant people. And you can change the buildings, but you, it's a lot harder to change the people. And that's something that we've been fortunate in Stanford. We've got the great people we just need the, uh, need the community, uh, the buildings, and, and the landscape to match. And so that's a lot easier fix than trying to, trying to fashion a great community out of, uh, out of some vacant people. Yeah. So what would you say to someone thinking about moving to Stanford? Come on down. Yeah. Love to have you. It's a, it's a great place. It's a, like I say, the people, if, if people are important to you, and they should be, um, that's what matters. Uh, the rest of the stuff is fleeting. You know, it's like when you talk about getting married. If you're marrying for looks alone, you're probably eventually going to be disappointed because all of our looks fade. But you marry for someone's heart, and you marry for, you know, the relationship you have. Communities are the same way. Don't go to the community that's the flashy, clean, the clean, you know, flashy, superficial, uh, perfect-looking place because it's probably not as good. Every town's got the problems. Maybe they just do a better job of hiding it than some other places do. <laughs> but go for a place where you really feel welcome and really know that you can be a part of it, and not just as a resident, but be welcomed as one of them. 
you know, that's something about Stanford is, you know, my family's not from here. You know, we moved here when I was, when I was little, but we were welcomed as part of a community and we've been able to become leaders in the community because of that. And that's more important wherever it be, whether it be Stanford or somewhere else, be in a community that you can be, make an impact and not just be a resident. Perfect. Well, James, how do people keep up with you and follow along on this fun journey? Well, I'm way too easy to find on social media, probably. I'm on, on the Twitters, as they say, <laughs> James Decker 2006. I'm on Instagram at James M. Decker. Look me up on Facebook, James Decker. Um, I'm, I'm everywhere, uh, probably too often, more often than I should be. Um, you know, all you have to do is follow the trail of Dr. Pepper cans and Allsup's burritos, and I'll be there to find somewhere. Awesome. Well, thank you for being a part of our journey, and we're excited to follow your journey, and thanks for all the great work you're doing. Thank you, and thank you for all your great work. Thank you. Well, I told you that was going to be fascinating, and it did not disappoint, right? I got the chance to visit James in Stanford when we recorded this, and he gave me a tour of the town, and when we went to lunch and got up to pay our bill, we found that the tab had already been picked up by some of the locals. So when he says great people, he's exactly right. Stanford has a lot of great projects in the works, including the official reopening of the Grand Theater on November 2nd. And it's going to be fun to see these projects come to life in the coming months and years. So be sure to check out the links in the show notes to find out more. James was also recently named to our inaugural Ruralist, and we are now accepting nominations for our second Ruralist to be published in November. Do you know someone making a great impact and influencing positive change in their rural community? Nominate them for the Ruralist at ruralist.co slash nominate. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and thanks again to James for being on the podcast. We'll be back here next week. Have a great day, everybody.